Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Then chapter 2 from verse 11. <clears throat> when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Steve, I'm assistant pastor here, uh, praying fervently for a senior pastor. Um, 
At my place, one thing that we've found that we uh, find to be an indispensable tool is a ruler or a spirit level. Have any of you got those at home? Yeah, man. If you try and line up a picture on a wall, you're going to need a spirit level. I don't know how many times you, I've tried to look at it and I go back. and All sorts of things require a spirit level or a rule to get it in line. And today's message is centering on that concept in Galatians 2 and verse 14. I'm looking at, particularly at Galatians 2, but I've read Galatians 1, had that read for a reason, because it's about the gospel, the rule of the gospel. So Galatians 2.14 says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, and discovering what he says after that is what this sermon's going to be about. So let's pray and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, since the day we were born, sin has bent and twisted our thinking, our choices, and affected our behaviour. We've been bent away from you and the truth of your gospel. Open the eyes of our heart now that we may see ourselves and our actions through the lens of the gospel as never before. Help us to see that what we're really like in ourselves, but also to see what we're like in Christ. Will you show us that reality? We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So that verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So let's look at the gospel and we'll see that this gospel, I've just got to find reverse, there we go. I'm getting used to this, I'm on my L's with this. Um, this gospel is something that when Paul wrote to the Galatians, they were troubled. And I just want to show you, Galatia is that central region there in Turkey. It's still known as Galatia to this day. So that's where it is, and there's a number of churches spread there because Paul had gone and preached Christ. Many people had responded to that gospel and believed it. And they'd started to meet together to encourage each other and stir each other up and evangelise. So they'd form churches. So he writes to the churches of Galatia or in Galatia. That's where it is. He probably wrote somewhere between 48 and 55 AD. We don't exactly know. But the purpose that he wrote was to counter the rise of false teaching. So this is a particularly polemical letter. It's a letter that deals with, with controversy. He's, he has to confront false teaching. And that's why there's some tightly reasoned arguments in it. And I'm using a, an overhead today so that you can see some of those things rather than just try and hold it all in your brain. So it might seem like a funny thing for us today to have someone 
think, well, you've got to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. But remember, for a Jew, and there were lots of Jews scattered around this, this area, and for a Jew, it was like the defining mark of their Jewishness. To be circumcised meant you belonged to Jehovah and you were separated from the nations around you. And from, from the Lord came the Lord Jesus Christ. From the Jewish nation came the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were thinking when they became Christians, well, we had to be circumcised. That distinguished us from the nations around us. Why shouldn't the Gentiles also be circumcised in order to show that they belong to God like we do because they believe in our Messiah? So that was their thinking. And Paul has to say to them, look, that's not the gospel I preach to you. That's a different gospel. Very different. So that's the background behind Galatians. So today I'm going to look at three things that, that help us understand the point of what he talks about not acting in line with the gospel. First of all, what, what Paul says about the gospel in chapter 1. Then chapter 2, verses 11 to 18, what Paul says to Peter in Antioch. So what Paul says to Peter. And then to wrap up by looking at what the gospel says about us. What Paul says about the gospel, what Paul says to Peter, and what the gospel says to us. So we begin where Paul does in chapter 1 with what he says to the Galatians about the gospel. It came from God. You can just see it listed there. Look at verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I, see, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And that literally is what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. So it's, this gospel is not... It's from God, not from man. It's not something we dreamed up. The gospel focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. So look at verse 16. The way he sums it up in chapter 1, he says, When God was pleased to call me by his grace, he chose to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him. When you preach Christ, you're preaching the gospel. The gospel's all about Christ. That we might preach Christ crucified and risen. Christ who died for our sins and rose again. The cross of Christ. That is the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's established by Christ's death and resurrection. Without his death and resurrection, there would be no forgiveness of sins. So he opens the letter by saying, who gave himself for our sins, verse 4, to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. And he goes on a number of times and he mentions Christ crucified and risen. That's the heart of the gospel. If we don't get that, we don't get the good news of the gospel. And the gospel generates faith. It's effective only through faith. 
So it's a gift from God. The gospel is a gift from God and faith is a gift from God. When God opens a person's heart and their eyes and the, the, of their understanding to see the gospel, he does exactly in them what he did when he sent Jesus. He did something undeserved, unmerited. It's the act of God. And this gospel needs to be not just heard, but believed. You can hear it, but unless you act on it, it's not going to change anything. So the gospel has to be believed. And finally, the gospel is summarised by the word grace. Look at verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's astonished that after his preaching of this gospel to the Galatians, they were so quickly following false teachers, but in doing that, they are walking away from the grace of God. So Paul makes the point that the apostles didn't teach him this gospel. The risen Christ revealed this gospel to him, and he was saved by the grace of God. Now, when you think about it, this is exactly what the new covenant promises to us. Jeremiah had promised in the new covenant. This is what he predicted the new covenant would do. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least to the greatest says the Lord. When God moves into someone's heart and life, he is their teacher. He starts to teach them the truth. The Spirit of God leads us into the truth of Christ and opens our eyes. So quite simply, the gospel is the way we come to know the Lord. There's no other way. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what saves us. The good news of the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God does the saving. So have you received this good news? Does this resonate with you? Is this, does this ring true to you as wonderful news? Like Paul, it takes Almighty God to break through the blindness of our understanding and the hardness of our hearts to get it, to see it, to understand the grace of God and all its magnificent truth, that when we were without hope and without God in this world, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live, to die, and to rise again that we might have life through his death and resurrection. That's the gospel. If you know anything of God's disturbing work of grace in your life, when the Lord starts to open your heart and you begin to realise, ooh, I don't actually... My life doesn't line up with that. I, I've got quite a few deviations and variations. I, 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 I don't actually um, live according to that. I, I like to do my own thing and please myself. 
If you know anything of that disturbing work of grace, then it's because God is putting his finger on something in your life as a, a porthole, a channel, a means to get through to your heart and draw you to the good news of Jesus. To say, there is a better way. I'm not doing this to shame you, to belittle you, but so that you can believe in my son and have faith in his name because that will save you. So this is what Paul has to say about the gospel. At the start of chapter 2, Paul recounts how the apostles had recognised the evidence of God's grace on him and his ministry, where Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost and um, you know, 3,000 people had come to faith. Wherever Paul went proclaiming the good news of Jesus, people came to faith as well. They could see the evidence of the grace of God on his life. So I want to show you what's, what's happening now. Antioch in Syria is where all this was taking place that he now recounts in verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch. So he's telling them about an incident of what happened. Cephas is just the Aramaic name for Peter. Same guy, Peter. So it's about 500 kilometres north of Jerusalem, heading up towards Turkey. So the Galatians are in Turkey, but where he's talking about now happened in Antioch in Syria. And Peter is the apostle to the Jews. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter had heard back in Jerusalem of wonderful things about what was going on under Paul's ministry, so he went up to find out firsthand what was going on. So he travels that 500 kilometres up, and he goes to Antioch, and he sees the evidence of the grace of God. But something happens. And verses 11 to 13 tell us what happened. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why would Paul do that and oppose Peter, a fellow apostle? He says this, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, a Jewish group of believers. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas is one of Paul's faithful helpers. So by his actions, Peter, in effect, was teaching that there were two bodies of Christ. There's a Jewish body and there's a Gentile body, and you belong to one or the other. But that's heresy. Ephesians 2 says, God has made out of the two one new man, out of Jew and Gentile, making them one. There's one body of Christ. So it was wonderful to hear from Sibin today about subbies. People from different ministries, different ethnicities, different places all around the world all need to hear the same message of Christ. All need to believe the same gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That is crucial 
for the spread of, the, of Christianity, for the spread of the good news of Christ. So, like falling dominoes, the defection of Peter brought the defection of others. They were influenced. He's an apostle. He's not eating with the Gentiles. I won't either. His actions were undermining his message. That's why, in verse 14, Paul says to Peter, you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel when you do this, Peter. You've undermined it. So look carefully at his language. When you're not acting in line with something, you're inconsistent. You're not upholding what you say you believe. That's why when Nathan the prophet went to King David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had, had uh, her husband murdered, he challenged him and said, you're the man. You're supposed to be the king of Israel and you're not acting in line with your position. And he was pricked right in his heart. It's the principle behind the word of God. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and it shows us the way to live. C.S. Lewis gave what is now a famous illustration of looking along the Bible as along the ray of a torch in an attic or a shaft of sunlight in a dark room. If I just quickly look at the, the next slide, you, you get, get the idea, you get the picture. What had influenced Peter was fear. It says it in black and white, verse 13. The other Jews joined, uh, verse 12. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Maybe as the apostle to the Gentiles, he didn't want to unduly do anything that might offend them so that they might be able to listen to his message. Whatever it was, whatever was motivating him, it was inconsistent with the gospel, but he was acting out of fear, not out of faith. So think about this. What fears keep you and me from living in line with the gospel? What influences us to deflect us away from the truth of God's word? And there's heaps of things in today's culture where it's just definitely not a cool thing to be a Christian now that could deflect us away and say, well, yeah, 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 and start compromising. Heaps of things. We all need to ask ourselves that very sobering question, what influences me deep down in my being to be inconsistent with the gospel? Just ponder that. So he, he says about Peter's actions he's inconsistent. 
You know that a man is not justified by keeping the law. Is what he, that's the point he goes on to make. It's not by our obedience, it's not by being circumcised that, that that human action somehow gets us right with God. It's through what Christ has done on the cross. And we put our faith in Christ, not in human actions. So he's very tightly reasoning it through here with Peter to show him why what he's doing is leading others astray. Accepting justification through faith in Christ is to identify as a sinner because it just goes with the territory. If you say, the only way I can get right with God is by admitting my sin and trusting in Jesus, you have to admit that you're wrong. You've fallen short. You need help and you can't do it. You need saving. You need to be justified by faith in Jesus, not by your circumcision or not by anything else. So Peter is, is acting inconsistent with the gospel. He's undermining the reality of justification by faith, which is a big the theological truth. And Paul sees that his actions, when he looks along the line of the gospel, he looks at it, he says, this isn't going to end well. This is going to go pear-shaped. Peter, you can't keep doing this. That's his point. Now, there was a pastor that, that I spent quite a bit of time with um, in another state, and I knew him quite well. When he retired, he got bored in retirement. He was very bright, energetic, type A personality. Very influential, great preacher, etc. And in his retirement, he thought, I need stimulation, I need a challenge. But the challenge he chose was to try and keep one step ahead of the law by collecting child pornography. He did it, it came out in court, that the motivation behind it was the stimulus, the challenge of just doing something. He knew it was wrong, but it was the challenge behind it. So that's what he did. And he got caught out, and he went to prison. If he'd have acted in line with the gospel and made that as a bedrock rule of his life, he would have looked along the line of his actions and said, nah, this isn't going to end well. No, nah, I won't do that. We can save ourselves a huge amount of heartache if we start following this rule of living in line with the gospel. What does the word of God say? If we use it like a torchlight, like a beam or a shaft of sunlight coming into the room like C.S. Lewis mentioned, and when that shaft of sunlight comes in, you can see all kinds of particles in the air. You see things that you never saw before. And the gospel shows us, the, it examines our heart, the conditions of our heart. It shows us what we're really relying on. Are we acting out of fear? Or are we acting out of faith? Are we acting in obedience to God? If you love me, keep my commandments. Do we love the Lord? 
or are we just trying to establish our own self-righteousness? Accepting justification through faith in Jesus Christ is to identify yourself as a sinner, as someone who needs the Lord. And re-establishing the law proves that we really are a lawbreaker. Because you've set yourself up for failure, you've gone back to the law again, relying on your own obedience, your own actions. By reporting to the Galatians what he said to Peter, Paul was shining that torchlight of the gospel on the Galatians and their hypocrisy in following the ways of their false teachers. We don't have to look far today. I've mentioned one example. But think of priests and pastors who embezzle funds or commit adultery or abuse children. Or think of Christian parents who say one thing but act another way with their children and they're living hypocritically. Christian teens and young adults who sleep around just like unbelievers do. And if you look along the line of, of all of those actions, it doesn't line up with Christ and his gospel. We could save ourselves a huge amount of heartache if we start to look along the line of the gospel, see where it points us to God and his glory, to Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And that doesn't mean we have the freedom to keep on sinning. It means... Our sin was so bad, Christ had to die for it. How can I live in it anymore? I need to forsake it. So it would be really good if we start to ask ourselves, what fears keep you and me from living in line with the gospel? What's our circumcision group that, that rings in our ears and gets us astray? What's our peer group pressure? What is it that's influencing us away from the Lord? The person who concludes, my life is a mess and not worth living and despairs over it, has, has got half of the picture. Yes, they're sinners, they're broken, they've fallen short, but they haven't got the whole picture because Christ died on the cross to forgive us our sins and rise again for our justification. So a quick wrap-up. In Galatians 2, 19 to 21, Paul goes on to explain what the gospel did for him and to him and in him. The, the effect the gospel produced in him was astonishing. He says, I died to the law to live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. That Galatians 2.20 is because Paul saw himself so identified with Christ that it was like he was married to Christ. He'd become one with Christ. The two had become one. So he, he personifies the truth of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross in terms of his own life. And he, he says... I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
It's not my actions. The gospel isn't try harder, do better. The gospel is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Trust in him and then keep walking in alignment with that. And you, you can't go wrong if you do that. So can we say that we live for Christ? Is that how you're lining up your actions? That it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you because you died. When Christ died on the cross, you died with him. When Christ rose from the, from the dead, you rose with him. So when you have faith in that risen Christ, his death is your death to sin and his resurrection is your resurrection to new life. And you're a new creature. You're born again. The life you live in the flesh, you live by faith, not fear. Faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. As Paul said to the Colossians, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's liberating. That's really good news. I, when I look at my life, I don't know where I'd be without Christ because I'm a very weak person, a very Inherently unstable, I would say. It's only by the grace of God, through knowing Jesus Christ, that there's some semblance of togetherness in me, headed in a helpful direction rather than a self-destructive direction. Now, not everyone's like that, but all of us in different areas have fallen short and it shows in our actions to the point where we say, I'm only human. And what we're saying is I've sinned in theological terms. I've broken the law of God. I need help. I'm under the wrath of God. God is upset with my actions. Unless I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm on my way to hell. Paul says, the good news is Christ did the dying and the rising so that you might have life. Trust in that and let everything in you line up with that. And that's the way to walk in. That is the way to live life. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will deeply touch the hearts of each of us to see why we need to live in line with the gospel. We think we know what's right for ourselves, but the end of it is the way of death. We think we're wise, but we're fools. We think we're strong, but we're weak. We think we can do it, but we can't. Sometimes we think we're pleasing you, but we haven't looked at what the Bible says, and we, we're upsetting you. 
We're disobeying you. We're contradicting you. Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. And we praise you for the good news that while we were helpless in our sins, Christ died for us and rose again. That if we have faith in him, we will not perish, but have eternal life. Will you rebuild the foundations of our life on that truth? Build the building that will endure, the new Jerusalem, new hope, fresh dreams on the foundation of Christ. Thank you that we can be living stones in that building, that you're joining us in together from every tongue and tribe and nation to be a new holy temple in the Lord. And it's not what we've done. It's what you've done. Please lead us in line with your gospel. Show us how to live that way. May it become part of how we live our lives that we think first and foremost, does this line up with the gospel? Embed it into us for the sake of Christ and his glory and for the sparing of much shame and heartache. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.